What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you to become a saint and your walk toward eternity. Here's the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, discipleship, and catechesis. The list goes on and on and on. I would then sit with your questions. I would pray with them. I would study. And hopefully I will respond in such a way that it's good for you to become a saint. But here's my disclaimer. I am not perfect. Therefore, the advice I give to you, the responses I share with you might not be good for you. If that's the case, please reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to become a saint, to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ in the church. But if it is helpful and difficult, then I want to encourage you to lean into Christ more in prayer, study, fellowship, and worship so that God can give you the graces you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship in your journey to becoming a saint. On today's show, we're going to talk about growing in compassion. We're going to talk about seeing Christ in others. And we're going to talk about uh, this thing called emotional chastity. But uh, before we get into those topics, I'm going to share with you a glory story. My glory story is is this. It's been really cool. Um, lately, my brother just re- released an album, a rap album, and a Christian rap album. And yeah, and he invited me to be on it. So I did a song with him. And that was um, a lot of fun. But it was cool because I did a confirmation retreat for St. Paul's, Immaculate Conception, and St. Francis Xavier uh, recently at the Mercedarian Sisters Convent. And uh, it just went really well. Sister Dulce gave a talk. The nuns prayed over the kids before the Blessed Sacrament. Deacon Michael Parker preached. I was able to give a talk as well. But my brother was also able to come and share some of his testimony and, and, his, and his music with these, these young people. And it was just really beautiful being able to do ministry with my family. That was such a gift. I just love my family. My, my God has given me a great gift in my, my family. And yeah, so I'm super, super grateful for them and, and for this new season that God is drawing us in. As well, speaking of family, y'all keep my dad in your prayers. He was actually rushed to the hospital a couple of days ago, and he has some heart issues, and so there's some congestive heart failure going on. But we are walking with him and praying for miracles and believing that God will supply him the graces that he needs to become a saint. And so uh, I believe that if God wants him to be healed, then God will heal him. So we've been praying for that, but also know that my dad has just been a, a great dad for me and my family. So, uh, you know, whatever happens in this journey, we are grateful, but we could always use your prayers. So please keep my dad, Aaron, in your prayers and my mom as well as she takes care of him. We got some feedback too, coming in from Anonymous who wrote this. I absolutely cherish your directness and your clarity, your ability to use the hard words, your evident love for your listeners all over the world. Your show is a gift. You're a gift. Thank you, Anonymous. Well, Anonymous, Thank you. Please pray for me. And with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into today's show.
All right, first question comes in from Delaney, who writes about emotional chastity. What is exactly is emotional chastity? And can men and women partake in close friendships? Over my life, I've developed a lot of beautiful and fruitful friendships with men that have never become more than friendship, nor have I ever intended them to. However, recently I was accused of breaking emotional chastity within these friendships. It's a concept that I've never heard of before. I've asked around and it seems like something fairly controversial as some people don't even believe in it. I know that God delights in all friendships, but perhaps friendships of the opposite sex need more boundaries. Delaney, that's a great question. First, can men and women have close friendships? Yes, 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 they can. St. Francis of Assisi had a close friendship with uh, St. Clair and so many, uh, JP2 had a close friendship with Mother Teresa of Calcutta. I have close friendships with uh, a few people in my life who are women. And so, yes, men and women can have close friendships. Obviously, state of life might affect what's appropriate if a man is married and his wife is not comfortable with him hanging out with other women, then obviously that's something that we need to take into consideration. Or if a woman is married and her husband doesn't want her hanging out with guys all the time, clearly like those are places that we can have a, di- a different conversation. But in general, can men and women have close friendships? Uh, yes. Now, when it comes to, to this question of, of chastity, let's go ahead and I'll give you a saying that I used to say all the time and I haven't said in years, but it's good to bring it back. It is when it comes to sharing things with people of the opposite sex who are not our significant other, who are not our spouse, it is important that we share with them our chicken nuggets, but withhold our barbecue sauce. Does that make sense? We can share with them some things, but keep the deeper things for our spiritual director, our confessor, and our counselor. Um, Keep the deeper things for, for people who can reverence that. Because sometimes what happens in relationships is we share things with people and we overshare with people and that puts them in an awkward place because some people can't reverence. They can't hold the deepest things of our hearts. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, like, why am I sharing what I'm sharing? What's my motivation for doing this? Because some people cannot hold certain things. And so if we put that on them and they're not a counselor or a spiritual director or confessor, we're putting a lot of unnecessary burden on their souls. So just as we're called to like a physical chastity, we're, we're called to an emotional chastity as well. Just as we wait till we are married to uncover certain things like our bodies with our spouse, we also ought to have boundaries uh, when it comes to the uncovering of the depths of our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our feelings and our desires, our hearts. We live in a generation where everybody wants to bear everything with everyone. We have reality TV. Reality TV began with the real world back in, what was it, 1990 or something like that. And in the the real world, they had this thing called a confessional, which is not a sacramental confessional, but where people will bear their souls to this camera. But then that camera will share everything they bared in their confessional with the entire world, with people who don't even know them, with people who haven't spent any time with them, with people who are not going to reverence their hearts. Reality TV has taught us that We need to know everything and we need to show everything. We need to talk about everything. And that is just not true. There are appropriate places and spaces where certain conversations ought to happen and ought not to happen. And so it's important that we have a custody of our of our tongue uh, and our relationships with other people. We don't need to share things that belong to our spouse. We don't need to share things that belong to our confessor. We don't need to share things that belong to our spiritual director. We don't need to share things that belong to our our counselors. Share the chicken nuggets, but withhold the barbecue sauce. I, I, I even tell this to people whenever they're giving talks at conferences and at events. 
Like, don't tell everybody all your business. Like, that is not appropriate. Not only because it's not good for you to be that whatever, that, that, that uh, exposing of yourself. But again, the people in the audience, you might trigger their stuff. And they might have been like, I didn't come to this conference to hear this. I, well, one of my buddies told me one time he invited someone to give a talk at his, at his, um, his conference. He was hosting at his parish. And the speaker just like totally went off of the topic that she was asked to present on and started talking about all these things she's been through in her life, like all this abuse. And a lot of the people who were at this conference had been abused and they went to the conference because the talk that she was supposed to give was intriguing. It was about prayer, but she ended up talking about her abuse and it triggered a lot of people in the audience. And so they just weren't able to handle that. And so it's important for us to, to recognize that. Like, we need to have a custody over our tongue. And so when we have friendships with people of the same sex or the opposite sex, we need to have an emotional chastity with them. We need to be aware of what we're going to share. We can hang out with them. We can play sports with them. We can go to the movies with them. We could do ministry with them, whatever. But like have a custody over the heart. Like don't just share everything. And also this goes not to just what we share. It goes to how we pray with them. Whenever we pray with people, of the opposite sex, it's important that we just keep it simple. Go to mass together, you can go to adoration together, pray the rosary together, but like don't like bear your souls to each other. If you're again not, if you're not married, if you're not intending to get married with them, uh, and so it's important that we we examine our conscience and ask the Lord, like, hi, have I even shared with Jesus these things that I'm seeking to share with these people in these conversations, whether they are of the opposite sex or the same sex? Have I shared them with Jesus? And if I haven't, then why do I want to share with them so bad? And what do I expect to get from them? What do I expect from them in return if I choose to share this with them? Um, and so, yeah, I do think that there is such a thing as an emotional chastity that we need to be aware of in, in all of our friendships with, with everybody. Um, there are certain things that only belong to the Lord, certain things that belong to our spouse, certain things that belong to professionals, and we need to discern what can we share with prudence and, and, and what could be good for the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ, and then what could become dangerous, what can become overwhelming, uh, what can become unnecessary um, for us to share with other people in our life. So Delaney, hopefully that was helpful. Let me know if that was helpful for, for you. Keeping on this theme of relationship advice, we're going to talk about compassion. Uh, the next question comes in from Anonymous. Anonymous says this, uh, My boyfriend and I are both devout Catholics. I strive to, we try to help each other to pursue the Lord. We've had our ups and downs, but we both love each other very much and are attempting to discover if we are meant to be together for the long haul. He has been a real blessing in my life and has helped me to deal with my past and has made me a more loving and sensitive person. However, a lot of our issues stem from the fact that I struggle to give the compassion he both needs and deserves. I don't know if it's because of my past or because of a multitude of other reasons or simply because we're not meant to be. I want so badly to be there for him because I love him and I want him to feel that he can depend on me. Do you have any advice on how one can be compassionate towards another and how to grow in that, especially in regards to a relationship? So sorry that this is a super long and or confusing message. Thank you for all your love and hope you spread. I pray for you and your ministry. Thanks again, Anonymous. Okay, that's a great question. So I did take it to prayer. I'm going to share with you through my prayer anonymous, and hopefully this is helpful for you and for your boyfriend. The word compassion, it means to suffer with somebody, to suffer with somebody. When we suffer with people, it's important that we suffer with people in a way that they want to be suffered with. We don't want to like suffer with them in the way that we would want someone to suffer with us. We have to ask them the question, how can I be more compassionate to you? Like I know what I want, 
I know what I desire. But just because I want something whenever I'm going through something and I desire something whenever I'm going through something doesn't mean that other people want that as well. And so, for instance, one of my my friends uh, has a different temperament than me. So I'm probably more melancholic. Uh, This friend of mine is, is uber phlegmatic. And when this friend of mine was going through a profound season of suffering, uh, I wanted to accompany this friend and I wanted to be there. I wanted to suffer with, I wanted to manifest compassion um, toward this good friend of mine. All right, so now my, my friend's suffering. My friend is phlegmatic. Phlegmatic people in general, not all the time, but in general, they don't like a lot of attention. They don't like for the focus to be on them, right? They, they, they just don't like that. And so I was like, hey man, like first, whenever I heard the bad news that was going on in his life, I was like, man, like, can I give you a hug or something? He was like, nah, like, I don't, I don't like to hug. I was like, all right, cool. Uh, so how can I suffer with you? You want to talk about it? I don't want to talk about it. I was like, okay. Like for me, I know I would probably want to talk about it if it was something that was like really heavy going on in my life, in my heart, in my family. Uh, but typically people who are like extremely phlegmatic don't want to talk about it. So I ended up calling like a person who wrote a book on the temperaments and I was like, Hey, like, how do I suffer with a friend that's like super phlegmatic? And this person was like, Hey, what you need to do is you need to be in their presence, but don't like focus on them. Like don't don't ask them questions. Just be with them, and and then if they say anything, don't comment on it. Just give verbal. Mm. It's like mmm mmm. And I was like, that sounds crazy. I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I had ever heard in my life. However, I was willing to give it a shot. So we went to grab grab lunch one day, and I wasn't looking at this phlegmatic person who was suffering. I wasn't asking any questions about their situation. I was just there. And at some point in the conversation, said person mentioned something about their pain. And I literally just said, mmm. And after I said, mmm, said person began to say even more in the conversation and even more and even more. And all I did was listen and say, mmm, not even looking at the person. I didn't look. I was just there saying, mmm. So long story short, I had to find a way to suffer with this person in a way that this person would want to be suffered with. <laughs> Does that make sense? So ask your boyfriend, how can I suffer with you? How can I grow in compassion with you? What are your desires, right? What, what's your love language or what's it not? If his love language is touch and you give him time, then he's going to be like, leave me alone. Like, I just wanted a hug, you know, or maybe his love language is is not touch and you are like, overly hugging him. He's like, stop hugging me. I, I don't want you to hug me right now. So find out what his love language is. That like These secular tools are very helpful. So some people's love language might be touch, might be time, might be encouragement, might be service, might be gifts. Find out what that is. Find out what his temperament is. He might be a phlegmatic. He might be choleric. He might be sanguine. He might be melancholic. So when you find out what their temperament is, that also helps you to learn how they best receive love. And then you also just directly ask him the question, hey, look, I want to learn how to better suffer with you. Can you share with me what you think would work best, right? Again, we don't want to impose on other people what works for us. Oftentimes what we do, unfortunately, is we impose our systems of belief on other people, right? Because because I'm a, a giver, I expect you to be a giver, but you might not be a giver. You might be like, I just want to give my time. And I might get frustrated, but like, why don't you ever give? You never give. That's not their their way of like loving, right? So we need to find out how can this person how can this person thrive and stop comparing them to our gifts. 
Everyone doesn't have the gifts that we have. Everyone doesn't have the personality we have. Everyone has had the temperament we have. We're all very different, so we need to take time to learn and examine our surroundings and discover how we can best love those around us well. Hopefully that was helpful. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into our final question on seeing Christ in others. Okay, here's the gut check right here, because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Do you want to be holy? And do you want to be an instrument of renewal in this world? And if so, do you believe it's possible? Do you know what it looks like? Do you know where to begin? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. My name is Father Mark Mary. I'm a Franciscan friar of the Renewal. And I wrote a book called Habits for Holiness. And it pulls from over 800 years of Franciscan tradition, wisdom, and experience of radical and total discipleship in the midst of the world, but in a way which begins with little steps and works not only for religion, not only for priests, but for everybody. The change you desire is possible. The conversion you desire is possible. The renewal you desire is possible. The healing you desire is possible. And it begins with little steps. So to guide you on your way and to help you make the next best step of renewal in your life, I'd invite you to pick up a copy of my book, Habits for Holiness. God bless you. And we are back. Don't forget, you can hit me up with your own questions at www.assistionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. You can also rate us and view us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, and other podcast formats. And you can rate us and review us uh, there as well. You can share us on your social media pages, and that helps other people to find out about the show. If it's been good for you, potentially it could be good for them as well. Last question comes in from Anonymous. Anonymous writes this. What does it really mean to see Christ in others? Does Jesus really exist inside us in some way? Great question, Anonymous. So, a number of years ago, story time, Father Josh, I went on a silent retreat with an exorcist by the name of Monsignor John Essif, and it was an eight-day silent retreat, and he kept saying, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Josh. <laughs> who are you? Uh, I'm a sinner. Who are you? Over and over again. And Finally, like the Lord, Holy Spirit gave me the grace to recognize who I am in the eyes of my Father. I am the body of Christ. By virtue of my baptism, I am the body of Christ. When the Father sees me, the Father sees his beloved Son. Right? The Father sees Jesus in me. He sees Christ in me. Jesus sees himself in me as well by virtue of my baptism. When we are baptized, we are no longer just made in the image of God. Everybody, everybody who has ever existed in the womb of their mother is an image bearer of God. We are all, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, atheist or agnostic, Muslim or Hindu or Jew, we are all made in the image of God, theologically speaking. We are not all, theologically speaking, the body of Christ. The body, to be the body of Christ, to be a beloved son of God the Father, we need to be baptized. That's one of the ways that we are uh, invited to be the body of Christ. We are so much the body of Christ that when Jesus sees us, he sees himself. Whenever St. Paul was persecuting the Christians, when he was Saul, he was confronted by Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church, believers, disciples? He said, why are you persecuting me? He identifies himself with us. When we were baptized, the Holy Trinity dwells within us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So not just Jesus dwells inside of us, but like literally the Holy Spirit does and the Father does by virtue of our baptism. In addition to our baptism, uh, drawing us to be the body of Christ, Jesus also speaks of another way of being invited into the body of Christ, and that is the poor. 
he identifies himself with the poor. Christ has a preferential option for the poor. So people who are imprisoned, people who are homeless, people who are naked, people who are hungry, people who are are foreigners and who are traveling, um, who are uh, we call aliens, right? Uh, strangers to our land, people who are sick, they also are the body of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 25, you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink whenever I was thirsty. You gave me clothes whenever I was naked. You visited me when I was sick and in prison. You welcomed me whenever I was a stranger. And so Christ also identifies himself with the poorest of the poor. Everyone has the potential to be the body of Christ. But not everyone will choose to be the body of Christ. Some people will say, I don't want to be seen as Christ. And so we don't want to impose Christ on other people. There's some people who say, well, we're all Christ. But like that's kind of imposing our faith on other people. There might be somebody who's a Muslim who's like, don't call me Christ. I don't want to be identified as Christ. So we don't want to push our faith on other people. Does that Muslim have the potential to be Christ? Certainly they have the potential to be Christ. And we ought to do everything we can to invite them into this relationship with Jesus Christ through the sacrament of baptism. But we cannot impose um, our theology on other people. So yeah, so if you are sacramentally baptized, you are the body of Christ. If you are the poorest, the poor, you are also the body of Christ as well. And so we are invited to be in relationship with Christ, not only through scripture and through sacraments, uh, through adoration, but we're invited to be in relationship with Christ um, in each other, the messy members of the body of Christ, who we are all very messy, and also in the poorest of the poor. Um, yeah. So with that being said, let's go ahead and pray. Let's, let's pray for my dad, who's also a necessary member of the body of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. In the name of Jesus, Aaron, be healed. Not my will, but thy will be done. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, y'all, thank y'all. Please give me that in your prayers, and I will see you in the Eucharist until next week. God bless. Mm-hmm.